been easier to create content online, but with millions of uploads happening every second of every day, it also leads to an influx of spam and bot activity that's happening online. This leads to the spread of misinformation and hateful and violent content and just content that you technically just don't want to see on the internet. So let's talk about content moderation in today's episode in order to get a better grasp on how challenging of a product or a project that it is in order to moderate the internet's instant flow of content. Welcome into another episode of Cyberly. I'm your host, Blythe Brumley, and we cover the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all fits into the world of logistics. And in today's show, we are talking about those content moderation tools and the difficulties around it, not just from a human perspective, but also from a software perspective. Then we're going to be joined by the content creator queen herself, and that is Ingrid Brown. She is the host of America on 18 Wheels right here on FreightWaves TV. And she's also part of the new FreightWaves platform called Back the Truck Up. So we're going to be chatting with her about her content creation journey. And then we're also going to be talking about the power of a simplified marketing plan. There's a lot of information out on the web and it can become very overwhelming very quickly. So we're going to break down some simplistic tactics for you to take away with and hopefully be able to dominate the rest of your marketing plan and the rest of your marketing journey. But that first topic, this is a topic that I have been wanting to dive into for a while. I've had a loose sort of knowledge around how challenging that content moderation really is, but we need better content moderation tools and we need them soon. Because if you've been living under a rock over the last week, Elon Musk, famous billionaire, richest man in the world, trying to buy Twitter. And the reason that he's trying to buy Twitter is because he, from a fundamental perspective, he believes in the power of free speech. He believes in the power of using Twitter as a sort of Times Square or a, yeah, a Times Square of, of social media conversations in order to bring greater awareness to different issues from all sides of the coin. That's what he feels very passionate about. And Twitter in and of itself is a platform that is very currently and has been for a while, has been very polarized. It's it's uh, leans more democratic than Republican, and it's just hypocrisy abound on that platform. In order of what kind of news rises to the top and what news is labeled as misinformation, what people are click or what kind of people are are turned away from the platform, what kind of people are banned from the platform, what kind of people have their engagement rates increased dramatically because of the platform, and so that's what we're going to dive into because. Bots and spam and fake accounts and troll farms play a major role in the entirety of how Twitter operates. Let's talk about the fake problem on Twitter. I ran across these stats, and these stats are about a year old, but 206 million users access Twitter daily, but 75% of those users are located outside of the U.S., 10% of US-based Twitter users create close to 92% of all tweets. That is one of the more amazing stats that I've ever heard in my life. And I don't know if it's like amazing in a good way or amazing in a terrible way. I probably a little bit of both. But of those daily users, 48 million of those accounts are bought fake accounts on the platform. And there's been a, you know, sort of a fake and, you know, sort of bot account activity that happens on all social media profiles, but it is profound on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook. And now that, you know, sort of, you know, the, the, why it's needed or why, you know, sort of the fake profiles exist 
on this platform. That's why we need to talk about content moderation. So let's talk about the basics first. And the basics of content moderation is that you want to stop the spread of misinformation. You want to stop the spread of hateful or violent content that is seen online. Now, on one side of it, it's very the, the content moderation side is very uh, human side. It's human created software that's in order to increase engagement, uh, aka bots and spams. On the other side of it is what Facebook calls false amplifiers. Now, when you have a false amplifier, that is a real person that is tasked with certain talking points of the day and and, and certain uh, messages that they want to make sure that they get across. Let's take a look at this click farm in order to grasp how some of these click farms and these troll farms and these bot and spam accounts that are are happening online. And if you're you're just listening to the show, what it is essentially one woman sitting down and there are dozens and dozens, probably close to a hundred mobile phones that are sitting in front of her. And these are just one example of all of the different click and like bot farms, which helps to drive engagement, you know, with driving engagement, the minute you post something online, if you get a ton of likes on it, if you get some shares, if you get comments on it, that is a signal to the social media algorithm that this is good content that people want to see. And so the algorithm will then send it off to more people. This is how quickly the information can spread online, both the good and the bad kind. And so that's why it's so challenging in order to moderate this because you have the human side of it that is funding and creating software, but then you have the other human element to it that it's real people with real talking points and they're located all across the globe and they have certain talking points. And one of the scarier things that I was doing for for this research is this author, Nina, I I can't pronounce her last name, Jakowski, I think that's Jakowski, I forgive me, I'm sorry, but her first name is Nina. And she's the author of How to Lose the Information War. And she was doing an interview with PBS NewsHour. And she said that with a lot of these different troll farms, that they are created in order to create distrust or distrust among institutions, discredit Western democracy in order to give Russia dominance on the world stage. So that's just one tiny fraction of it. Not all troll farms live in Russia. There is a good majority of them that do. Um, But there's also Eastern Europe has a a large amount of, of troll farms and these bot farms that exist also in China and other foreign entities. Um, and it, maybe in the U.S., there's not that much information, surprisingly, on any you know U.S. activity that, that may be happening in. But this just sort of goes to show the large scale of not just the software side of things, but the human side of things, where humans are tasked with taking certain talking points of the day and taking those comments, posting them, and then using social media and bots and spam and troll farms in order to amplify those divisive statements. And so it's kind of like using software and humans uh, in a tandem to accomplish one goal. And that's either, it's not just misinformation and, and hateful and violent content that's being used by these, you know, different companies, but it's also promotional. If, it, you know, companies are paying to have a higher engagement on their maybe YouTube videos, for example. If you see a YouTube video with hundreds of thousands of views and nobody has commented and nobody has liked the video, that's a good sign of bot activity on that particular video. Somebody might feel a little self-conscious about the content that they post online. And so what they do is they hire or they buy one of these really, really cheap tools. They are very cheap. I've looked it up. 
It's about 10 to $20 and you can have basically any post or any hashtag that is posted within a certain time frame. your profile can automatically like that photo or it can automatically give you a view and it over inflates, you know, some of the content that people put online. So those are, you know, kind of a, a little bit of like use cases for a lot of these different tools. It's not just for misinformation, but it's to promote a company and even to take down a competitor. Um, so there's lots of different uses for these different spam and, and bot accounts. Now there are automated. Now, when you're talking about different spam and bot accounts for social media, there are a lot of different tools, AI, in order to try to catch these accounts and prevent them from taking part in these different activities. They can be posts, they can be videos, they can be comments, uh, but not everything is caught by the software, which requires human moderators. And this costs companies billions of dollars in order to hire these content moderators because spending is just going through the roof. It's estimated to be close to $12 billion spent in content moderation by 2027. And it's just a, right now, currently in, in 2022, it's around $6 billion that's being spent. So it's a multi-billion dollar industry in order to try to combat you know, all of this nefarious act or actors and accounts that are happening online. So it's a very expensive problem in order to combat too, because essentially this is a content moderation is a problem for everyone. User targeted, user targeting has been incredibly accurate for years. Up until just recently, Apple, you know, uh, uh, back in October of 2021, they released a new operating software, a new operating system that prevents a lot of third-party app tracking on their devices. But it's not just their devices. There are other Samsung just, or it was just announced yesterday that Samsung has now taken over as the number one phone provider in the world. So those operate off of Android software and those sort of tracking abilities still exist in an Android environment. So Apple is trying to tackle privacy, but they're probably trying to tackle privacy for their own data sharing needs and that they want to share it with certain partners instead of, you know, just everyone having the ability to access all of their data for free. Um, so when I say that content moderation is a problem for everyone, it's just exacerbated on social media because people have a very challenging time trying to identify what is a fake account and what isn't a fake account. It takes a lot of software and servers and, and just people to manage all of this data. And even with AI helping, there are still things that fall through the cracks, lots of things that fall through the cracks because the human side of content moderation are these content moderators that are tasked with viewing anywhere from 250 to, to 300 pieces of content every day. And when you're talking about you know, these content moderator jobs, it's, it really just falls on the initial hiring practices because a lot of these workers that are taking these jobs, they're, they're third-party contractors. So companies like Google and Facebook and Twitter, they don't necessarily have a large budget attached to folks who are doing content moderation internally hired, you know, by Google. It's a lot of these third-party contractors that these companies use in order to take advantage of low-wage workers. And how they do it, and this was a this is coming from a Verge article, but they sold the job by an employer like Facebook by telling them that these content moderators are sort of sold a bill of goods that hey, you're going to be helping to make a difference. You can help bring justice to people and animals. And that's how they're sold on what the job is going to entail. But then 
you're you're essentially helping Facebook do their job and helping Facebook moderate this content for them. And the salary is okay. It's about $15 an hour. Uh, it, you're, if you're looking at the screen right now, a, a content moderator who works at Cognizant, which is a third-party contractor of Facebook, they make about $29,000 a year. So it's it's a very like sort of low-wage job. And the problem with this is that they're seeing so many things that are messed up. They're, they're I, I, you know, I won't go into the worst parts of humanity because I'm sure you can imagine the worst parts of humanity with, um, with children, with animals. These are the kind of things that these content moderators are seeing. On average, they last about three months on the job. And it's really heartbreaking because they do not have access to regular therapy, especially after they leave the job. A lot of them suffer from PTSD. A lot of these employees, I was reading that at at Cognizant, they have an average of nine minutes a day with a licensed therapist that's inside of the office to deal with more than close to 300 pieces of just horrible content that just leaves you. It it stays with you. This isn't imagery that you can get out of your head. It stays with you for years. There was one woman who was actually one of the rare few that that, that were hired by Google in order to do their internal content moderation. And she explains that there's never going to be enough money to make this okay. She was making good money. She wasn't making $29,000 a year. Now she, because of all of the messed up things that she saw during her content moderation journey, she didn't last very long in that job. But now she suffers from PTSD. She has to get regular therapy. She has a therapy dog. So she has all of these different uh, it, it, things that she has to now maintain because of her short time doing content moderation. That's how serious the psychological effects are for these content moderators. And it's there's no recourse for these moderators who spend a few months on the job, realize this is terrible work. I don't want to do this anymore. And then they have no access to, ther- to, to therapy in order to manage all of the things that they've seen. So it really is just a, it's a challenging thing that people have to deal with from an emotional perspective on the moderation side, not even necessarily from the creation side of things, just trying to make sure that things that, that are publishing to their platform is somewhat okay in order to be published to that platform. And then think about all the things that do make it through. A lot of these moderators, if they don't have a nine over 90% accuracy rate, then they will be fired from their job. Meaning that if they identified something as not as as being okay to publish and they were wrong on that, they have to keep that accuracy score 90% or above or they lose their job. And again, this is just one more just caveat onto just the challenges of what you have to deal with whenever you are, 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 are be employed by these content moderators and you're sold a bill of goods that you're helping to do the right thing, you're helping to bring justice to people, and then you're not offered uh, any kind of therapeutic benefits and you suffer PTSD on the job. It's, it's frankly just a, a crap job. And I'm not sure how companies are going to be able to recruit folks to do this in the future because this is a problem right now. And it has been a problem. We showed the graph earlier with the increase of spending that's going to take place over the next year, over the next handful of years. And it's billions of dollars that is going to be increased. So the other caveat to this, and we've talked about this on previous shows, is that the the AI and the creator tools that are existing in the marketplace is sort of incredible 
from a one person marketing team perspective, there, there's uh, there's lots of different solutions out there. And we've talked about the power of content creator tools using artificial intelligence. And let's bring up one example because I personally use copy.ai to regularly help me rephrase and, and get ideas to rework a lot of my copy, whether it's for emails or websites or social media. If you're watching the screen right now or if you're listening to the show, essentially what it is, it looks like a glorified, you know, a doc document editor where you enter in a few bullet points, the topic that you want to cover, and the software will then spit out hundreds of words that you can use and you can straight up just copy that and paste it into your website or copy that and paste it into an email. So from the non-nefarious side of things, that is a really good tool for folks to use, especially folks like myself. Uh, But I will say that it's starting to get to a line where I'm not exactly sure how I want to continue using this and where the ethics are involved. That same software spit out a thousand word blog article for me the other day. I wanted to just do, I saw a TikTok video on on how to do it. I went into the software that I've already paid for and I created it and then I read it and it was very good. Very good article, thousand words easily could rank for that keyword on SEO. If I post that article to my website, I haven't posted it, but I'll tell you if copywriter had given that me that article or like a freelancer had given me that article, I would have published it within a day. But the fact that a computer wrote it, I feel a little icky about publishing it. I'm thinking maybe I'll do it just to see if I can, you know, maybe uh, do an experiment on it and share it with you guys. Let me know if you're interested in that, um, because I, I would love to be able to play around to see if this is legitimate, that I could rank for a keyword using these different tools, because it's not just on the written word side of things. It's also on the creative side of things when it comes to imagery, because there's another tool called Dolly that will take the text that you input into their software. This is still in beta right now, but basically uh, they have a few examples on their website. It's called dolly.ai. I believe that's the, the, the web address in order to check it out. But you can insert a few keywords and then the, uh, the AI just comes up with the image and it can either be an illustration image. It can look like a real image. It's, it's a lot of just crazy examples. If you're watching on the screen right now, this is an illustration of an avocado in a tutu or an illustration of an avocado with headphones walking a dog. These are the random things and the random verbs a verbiage that you can place into their software and it will create an image for you instead of trying to buy stock photos or to, um, you know, or not or get stock photos or to buy them from like, you know, an a, a Adobe stock photos uh, shop. So it's all of these different tools that maybe this Dolly tool could replace and you would have original images to use for your site. Now, Knowing everything that we talked about before with the issues of content moderation right now, currently, with all of these other tools to help create content and images faster and original images and original content, we can create all of these things so much faster. So content moderation is going to get incredibly more challenging, especially if it's powered by AI. So to sort of bring it full circle, I mentioned Elon Musk earlier in the show of how he's trying to buy Twitter. I believe that he is one of the few people on the planet. He fundamentally, uh, you know, is is for free speech, and he is just a mad scientist, crazy person, in order to take on the problem of tackling the the Twitter spam problem, in order to make it a platform that 
allows for free speech in order to take place. And if he allows for free speech in order to take place, then what's going to happen is he's going to have to get rid of all of the bot accounts that are responsible for, for spreading a lot of misinformation, spreading a lot of hateful information and fixing the algorithm. He is the only really one of the few people that has the funds to do it and passionately cares about it because he stated, he, he stated in several interviews that he doesn't care about making money with the platform. He just is, is a fundamental user and lover of the platform and he wants to see it improve. So I, I, I think time will tell if he's allowed, quote unquote, to buy Twitter and it becomes a more enjoyable experience for more people than just a tiny fraction of Americans who tweet on a daily basis. But if he doesn't do that, then it's really up to us in order to take control of our own timelines. If we see people that are, you know, posting hateful content, you know, it's really up to us to sort of, you know, hone in and, and trim down our feed, unfollow the negative accounts, try to decipher if accounts are real or not, um, you know, trying to figure out, you know, you can just do this on like a use by use cases in order to, to for example, uh, to find a Twitter account that is probably fake. They probably have six or seven numbers behind their name or they don't have a profile photo or they the account is like four months old or all they do is just retweet other things. These are kind of signals that can tell if that account is fake or not. That also goes for other platforms like Instagram. I can't look at, you know, an Instagram post now from a major account without seeing a ton of bots and crypto scams and all of these other different things that are all posted in the comments. So it's not just a Twitter problem, but until these bigger content moderation issues are solved. It's really up to us as individuals in order to hone in and trim the fat from our feeds and control our own experience. So we're not being gaslit. So we're not being put in a negative place. And that social media can become a more enjoyable experience. Back when it was a really good experience before the bot activity took over, which really wasn't shortly after. Content moderation has been a problem for a very long time. And so We'll see if anybody even wants to fix it, wants to try to fix it. But that would also re require a lot of these different platforms to admit that they let this problem get to where it is in the first place by not having certain identification factors, um, uh, you know, authorizing factors put in place whenever people create the profiles to begin with. So that's my little rant on on content moderation. It just it as just sort of a heads up that it is very difficult. But at the same time, you know, we really need to take ownership of our own profiles as well and our own social media feeds in order to create a better experience for ourselves. Maybe some people are just crazy and they like to be mad all day, but that's not me. And I imagine that's a lot of other people as well. Now we talked about you know, a lot of the, the content moderation side of things. But our first guest is no stranger to the craft of content creation. Let's go ahead and bring in Ingrid Brown. She is the host of America on Wheels and creator for Freightway's new platform, Back the Truck Up. Welcome in, Ingrid. Hey, thank you for having me. And I was just saying, I did brush my teeth. I, we were talking about that, so I had to do that. Yeah, I'm trucking, as you know, as you can see, I'm on my way to Florida. Thanks for having awesome. me. The, the, the great state of Florida, that's where I'm from. So uh, we would welcome you with open arms. Now, now, you've been a driver for more than 40 years. How do you think the industry has evolved over that time in both good and bad ways? Oh, I get asked this question uh, several times. There's, there's a couple ways to answer it. Um, it's evolved to the point that the progression is 
being able to adapt, and of course, as a driver. But, you know, equipment, um, being able to have showers for women. I mean, these are simple things. But watching the freight market and watching the different types of freight and the manufacturers and the areas this is coming from and being able to travel to different areas and not just being stuck in one place. Um, that's moved forward into today. Seeing the companies that have come in and seeing what their niches are. Who chose what? How did they choose it? How are they making it work for themselves has really evolved and is just even after 42 years. I mean, I'm learning every day from this. And I'm just loving the fact, and I'm like a sponge. I'm like a major, big, huge sponge. If I can learn it, I want it. And so all these new companies coming in and all the manufacturers uh, watching how they're not only shipping, receiving, but how are you selling this? How's the consumer uh, becoming a part of this? So those are some of the really big things that have evolved. Now, I, I doing research for this show, I noticed that one of the first interviews that I saw on YouTube of you was eight years ago. So you've been how you've been creating content or, or being active on these social media platforms for a while now. When did you decide that you wanted to start making content online? You know, kind it it found me. Um, I don't think I ever really thought that I would be a creator. Um, people came and wanted to hear my story. People wanted to hear, okay, you've been out here this long. What was it like back then? Um, and then it just evolved. And when they came to me about coming to Freight Waves and starting American 18 Wheels, I never even thought about being a creator. I never thought about being an influencer. My whole life just evolves around what I can give back to the industry and what I can teach other people what I do, how I've done it, there's nothing like that I do that nobody, there's nobody in this industry can do. I'm, I'm not special. I just love sharing what I do. So I, that makes me uh, building content and maybe an influencer. I don't know. Um, but I love what I'm doing. I love sharing that. And that was my end goal before I retired is I want to pay everything that I have learned, whether it be man, woman, broker, shipper, receiver, manufacturer, driver. Hmm. I want to give everything I have inside of me back because all the people that have given it to me, it's just been amazing. What, what, you, you brought up the show America on 18 Wheels. And now you've been doing this show for a little while now. What does the the sort of the process look like for creating videos like this for for your show? Because I've watched a couple of them; they're very highly produced. Like they look really good. And 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 how what how does that process work? Do you have somebody in the truck that's filming with you? Um, are you doing the editing? What does that all that look like? Well, actually, I'm I'm choosing places that build the driver profession character okay I I want the character and who we really are and I want you and I want the general public and I want the industry to know we have huge positive sides we hear so much negative forget the negative I, I will never ever do negative so this is what I do I grab my little 13 iPhone and 
I go and horse out <laughs> the producer. I probably send him about 30 different videos. And uh, I just try to capture anything that's informative, whether it be driver or whether it be industry. And in that process, uh, South makes me look fantastic. I did, seriously. Um, picking up all this going on in, in the country, and I feel like I haven't even touched mm. even, even a drop of what I want to do of showing people what happens when a driver goes into a truck building factory. What is our opinion on fast food? What is our opinion on just rest areas? I'm parked at a rest area right now. You know, what are the things that you can help us do, but what are the things we can do? And let me help you educate of how to maneuver around me safely while you're on the road as well. I love that you brought that up because that is is one of the more I think untapped markets, and that sort of brings me to to my next topic because with with back the truck up, it really is using the driver voice and creating that centralized platform because drivers have had the best social media and freight for as long as I can remember. They have hundreds of thousands of followers on all of these different social media platforms. You got a lot of companies trying to figure out how to get that same sort of audience capture that that is happening with all of these different drivers and now they have a place for it over on back the truck up so how, why do you think that social media has been so crucial to, to drivers over the last 10 years is it really sort of their own digital community because they they don't have a typical office to go into yeah i, I think that it's not only i think it really started out that it brought us together that weren't any longer alone. You know, we went through back in my start of being the CB days. Uh, that was our communication. Then we ended up, we got cell phones. And then we could communicate and find out who was where. And we could share what was going on. And then we ended up, and we started with social media. And we started connecting on social media. And it became our network together. Then we realized we can reach a lot of people by sharing what our lives are. Our lives are so different. You know, we don't have a normal life and, and you know that. And it's, they're different. Our lifestyles are just totally different. And really until you get in a trunk and you see uh, I grabbed a subway really quick today and I was like, you know, I would love to sit down and have a meal and I don't have time. I'm going to be in like one of the publics. And um, but I think we have taken this sometimes, and I'll say, I think sometimes it's misuse, but that gets back to what you were saying earlier in the segment before me. Um, we all have to police our content. We all have to police our profiles. We all have got to look at that before we can pass along the good of that. Hmm. Uh, along a lot of information not only to ourselves but to a lot of people of safety areas um weather um family happenings uh so much information from drivers it's everyday life for other people 
And I, I've heard you mention that, you know, the sort of the power of communication and how you're hoping with, with Back the Truck Up, with your role on, on that platform, that you can sort of bridge the communication gap between drivers and brokers and, and carriers. Why do you think there's been such a hurdle to overcome the communication gap among brokers and carriers? Well, I think it's basically, and I'm just going to lay this out here. I'm probably going to get a lot that's going to say, is, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like a, a form of jealousy, mm. literally a form of jealousy, whether it's from the broker side thinking drivers make more money or drivers thinking brokers are taking more money. And it's like, hey, come on, guys, we have to work together. There's nobody against anybody. There's nobody out getting you. This is about working together. It's the same way as law enforcement. Law enforcement's not out here to be the bad guy and and hurt us and harm us. They're out here to protect us and to help us. So bridging these two gaps is huge for me. Huge. I may make a little itty bitty teeny tiny dent in this. But hopefully it'll pay forward somewhat for people to understand brokers are out here to help us. You know, brokers help me every day because I'm driving. Hey, I, I, I got tired of having to do the shipper and keeping up and invoice and bills and, and safety and maintenance. And it, it's overwhelming when you're the driver. So I think bridging that gap takes away the fact and the knowledge is the only way to do that is nobody's out to get anybody. You know, so many things like uh, drivers lie to us. Let's stop and back up and let's regroup and let's rethink this. And let's just say we're going to get along. And that's, that's just really my big thing. Yeah, I think anytime you can, you 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 run into a dangerous territory when you you paint a demographic, a large demographic at that, with a very broad brush. So it's, I think it's you know watching sort of the verbiage that is being used, and and one of those things that I, I've noticed as of late is a lot of the different issues that are coming to light that drivers experience on a regular basis. I'm I'm sort of ashamed to admit that within the last year, you know, I've I've talked to to uh, several drivers and learned about even you know the truck parking issue and and things like that, that had probably been an issue for so long in trucking, but the vast majority of folks have no idea that issues like this exist that are just, you know, sort of common decency that you would think that would be offered. Are there any other sort of just glaring issues that are affecting drivers today that more people should be made aware of? I think a lot of it is, you know, the safety on the highway. And of course, you know, with me being FMCSA's voice and pace of safety and seeing me on billboards, I actually saw one of those today and I was like, <laughs> I don't her. That's me. Um, <laughs> I was like, I know, I'm just like, baby, anyway. But I, I think getting that education out and I think getting that started in, you know, driver's ed. But I think that it needs to be continued, like continue education, as well as as better drivers. As far as myself, we become complacent. But I think, you know, the big thing right now that we are dealing with, and I'm on the Caltrans and CARB Truck Parking Committee. I've been on there for three years. I've worked with Governor Abbott down in Texas. I'm numerous. You would have no idea 
when I walk into and sit down and listen how local government, who are the ones that's going to make parking happen for us. People think FMCSA does it. No, they don't. State doesn't do it. It is your local government, your county, your municipalities, your cities. These people have no idea what hours of service are. They have no idea why we're parked on their ramp and their government officials. And the only way to get that taken care of is educate them. Take the time, sit down, and most of them go, holy moly, I had no clue. Um, the other glaring thing, like I said, is your safety. Uh, and I, I just can't reiterate all that over and over and over. And it can go in so many different forms, whether it's parking, whether it's uh, cutting us off, whether it's in education, whether it's in commercial motor vehicle education and training. That's huge right now. Uh, the ELDT, which is the entry level driver training, just came in effect February 7th. And that's huge. Uh, getting these drivers trained correctly, but getting them to understand the lifestyle so they choose to stay in the industry because they know what they're getting into mm-hmm. and they figure out they got to take a shower and a truck stop every day now. They're not going to get out of bed and just go to walk to the bathroom. So a lot of these things, um, it, it's nonstop. So it's, it's an educational journey from the time that folks are getting their driver's license, whether you became a, a, a truck driver or not. It's a, it sounds like there's a big educational gap that, that you know, the rest of us folks can do a better job of explaining too. Now, you, you switching gears a little bit, uh, back when I was an executive assistant at an asset-based 3PL, it was my job to order the driver gifts. For you know, every quarter is essentially when we would order driver gifts. I wanted to ask, what is the best gift that you've ever gotten, or what is a gift that you want and have never received from a company? I think a gift card. Um, uh, it's a gift card because we can yeah. use it anywhere. We use a, a gift card, a Visa or Mastercard. We can use it in a talk stop. We can send it home in case we need to help provide for family. Um, Gift cards are fantastic. Um, You know, your eatery cards, of course. Mm. But (laughs) you're gonna think this is crazy. A flashlight, I'm dead serious, a flashlight. (laughs) Because, I I, I mean, they're the greatest. Uh, You know, you have the tactical flashlights and blinky, blink, 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 and all this stuff. things that we break quite often, but they're so expensive in truck stops uh, to the point they're marked up so high. Um, I really, one thing is is a flashlight. (laughs) No, I I love that because I I remember it was about a year and a half ago, I was working on uh, an article on coming up with different driver I gift ideas for truck driver appreciation week. And of the number one, I had pulled a bunch of people and the number one request was cash. And then the second request was a really nice pair of gloves. So it was, it, it's kind of like right in line of, of what those, those two suggestions that you just gave. Um, so if companies are listening, give, give cash because it can be used anywhere or a gift card. And then also utilities for the truck. Oh, you forgot. Freight socks. Oh, that's I mean, so you gotta, 
That's I cannot believe I did not add that to this show because we've had a for for folks who may not follow us on LinkedIn, um, me and Ingrid and Matthew, um, who is the armchair attorney, we have this little sort of a freight socks club and we try to get each other socks from different events because freight socks are now a thing. And if you go to these different conferences, there are companies that are that are putting little trucks and their logos on socks and it's really nice and really nice socks. Um, so we've had a little bit of a bonding moment. So if you that's another gift idea for folks out there. You just have to make sure you send the three of us a pair. <laughs> and, and the thing is, if you think about it, now you're hitting three different sectors of the industry with free socks. Uh, again, we're bridging that gap. I mean, it's, it's a way that if people will get involved and, and look, everybody is with open arms. You just have to extend yourself out there to do it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's a great thing if you just uh, maybe pay attention a lot more. I know I need to, but yeah, it works. What about, you know, sort of, you know, coming to the, you know, sort of the end of this interview, knowing all that you've known and and learned over the last few, you know, 40 some odd years of driving, what advice would you give to a newbie driver that's just getting started? Don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, I actually was involved in a situation last night at a fuel island that um, the gentleman was almost embarrassed to ask for help because he felt like that he was going to be ridiculed or, or put down. Um, I think that it comes across the side even when we go to brokers. Brokers, don't be afraid to ask your seasoned drivers, okay, I know that you got slowed and I know this happens, but give me kind of the details and the rundown on it. What, how does it really work? I think that the biggest thing is, is asking for help. I don't, the other day, and, and you've seen what I drive, so I'm in this big long truck and I still get out and ask somebody to spot for me. Even the simplest things, it doesn't matter how long you've been out here, you still don't know it all. And if you think you do, call me. That's my favorite thing, call me. Because you don't. And we're going to figure out how you don't, but we're going to figure out how to fix so you do. Um, there's so much you, I, all of us. I mean, I am so like, you are like my go to, I, I, I'm just going to adopt you, um, <laughs> because the education you have that I can learn from, the education I have that you can learn from, we all have something to give, but sometimes we're scared to give it, and sometimes we're scared to ask for it, so where the old saying of, there's never a dumb question or stupid question, no, there's not, but it can go further than that. So I think making sure you ask questions and also make sure you have your homework done of a company before you ever step into their doors to go to work for them. Hmm. And that means talk to other drivers, Google them, link in them, Facebook them, and ask them about the company before you step in the doors. Knowledge is definitely powerful. And I used to think that's kind of cliche, but you know what? It's the greatest thing there is. 
I love it. That's a perfect note to sort of end in the the show on. So Ingrid, where can folks follow more of your work? All of, all of the the good stuff you got going on. Oh my goodness, girl. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, I, I, I'm going to say this really quick. Be careful following me on Twitter because I hashtag back the truck off the other day, and Timothy Dooner sent me a message and said. Ingrid, you do realize you're follow, you hashtagged a hairy dude that is probably not a real account. And I'm like, oh my, he looked like Bigfoot. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, we need to work. But no, you look can out find for those me fake at, accounts. <laughs> yeah, back the truck up. I'm on Facebook, I am on Instagram, uh, I am on Twitter. Twitter. Um, I am on. <laughs> yes, but yeah, reach out to me. Uh, you can find me on America on eighteen wheels, and uh, it's definitely not boring. You're probably going to find me dropping the camera and South Saves today, but he still lets me in there. So uh, I go shopping in Cabela's, and I play with the polar bears, and uh, just join me. That's awesome. Well, I appreciate all, all of your time today. And, and and thank you for stopping over on the side of the road in order to have this, you know, conversation with us. I'm, I'm hopefully a lot of companies will will take inspiration from, you know, what what you've provided from not only the, the, the gift side of things, but also from the educational side of things. So appreciate your time, Ingrid. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. You are just amazing. And I will see you in Rogers, Arkansas. That's right. But I'll see you the eighth, and I'm excited. So anybody that's not going to be shame on you. So there you go. Likewise. And thank you, Ingrid, so much. And, and and speaking of what Ingrid was saying, let's go ahead and sort of throw, yeah, I'm sure the production team has the, the graphic for future of supply chain that's happening May 8th and or May 9th and May 10th. I'm sorry, I have my flights sort of uh, in, in my head right now because I just booked my flight yesterday to head over to the future of supply chain. If you've never been to a Freight Waves event, it is a must attend event because they really are. It's like it's the work hard, play hard mentality. So play during the day or you work during the day and then you play at night. So that that's kind of how the, the the mantra goes. But I guess you could play during the day as as well. It depends on, you know, if you're working or not or just networking. But one final topic that I wanted to jump into um, sort of as we close out the show, because, you know, sort of hinting at with, you know, what Ingrid was saying with, you know, so much education that's out there and how do you really pick what to do and what steps to take after you have all of this insight and all of this education. I share a lot of it over on LinkedIn. And so you you might have seen some of my posts that I get there or in some questions that I get there. And the most common question that I get is, okay, well, how this is great advice, but how do I actually put this into action? And I think for a lot of folks, it, it might be a situation, and I've experienced this myself, where you're overthinking of what you should be doing online. There are four basic principles that I believe after 15 years of, of making content online that I think that you should be following because you're learning from my mistakes. And and one of those, those first mistakes is thinking that I have to be everywhere and I have to do all of the things. I, I remember when, you know, sort of social media first started up, there were websites that you could go to and you would enter in your username. So at the time I, I had a company username that I wanted to make sure that I got secured on different social media platforms. So I would go to this website, I would put in my username, my desired username, and then it would list out 
dozens and dozens and dozens of social media accounts that I needed to claim my business name on it. Because at the time, I didn't know what was going to be the next you know, Instagram or the next Twitter. I just wanted to make sure that I secured my username on those platforms. And what that resulted in is just being, frankly, overwhelmed by having to be everywhere and be all the things to all the people. So four things that you need in order to simplify your marketing. And that is, we're going to start out with a number four, and that's a four-page website. A lot of companies, if you don't even have a website and you're thinking about getting one, all you need is four pages. You need a homepage, you need a services or a product page, you need an about us, and you need to contact us. A lot of companies will think that they need 10 to 15 different pages on their site or sometimes even more. And while you can grow into that eventually, you really need to hone in on those four pages first in order to make everything else work because those four pages are going to be the most visited pages likely on your entire website. The About Us page, from all of the data that I have on my clients and my sites, the the About Us page is the second uh, visited page on all of the websites. Usually they arrive through a blog post or visitors will arrive through a blog post or they'll just Google the company name and then they'll arrive on the homepage. And the next page that they visit after that is the About Us page. So as long as you're focusing on making sure that those four pages are a home run, then you don't necessarily have to worry about building the biggest and best and most perfect website right out of the gates. Focus on those four pages first. Make sure that the the information is geared towards your target audience. And then that way you can expand on it in the future if you need to. Because nine times out of 10, a lot of 3PLs and a lot of carriers, they really only need these uh, a website in order to solidify that they're a trustworthy long-term business in order to partner with. So it's almost a verification process for any drivers or for... Uh, any companies that are looking to do business with you, if they Google your name and you don't have a company website, what are the chances that you think that they're going to take you seriously as a business partner, as somebody that they want to do business with? It's very, very low. So focusing on your four-page website, that's number one. Number two is also sort of in a similar vein, but there's a Google My Business profile. And Google My Business is a location-based for your location-based, almost like a digital real estate listing. So when your company is Googled on the left-hand side of the page, what you will see is a bunch of different you know results coming from Google and trying to match what they think you want to click on. On the right-hand side of the page though, if you have your Google My Business page claimed, then you will have premium real estate on those search result pages. You can link to your website from those pages. You can publish photos to that particular you know, sort of real estate. And that folks, you also can collect re, uh, reviews right there on your Google My Business page. It's a short uh, authorization process where you have your address and you claim it from Google. They send you a postcard to make sure that you actually are at the residence that you claim you're at. Um, If you are a a freight broker and you maybe you work from home or you don't want to give out your home address, you can still claim that listing and then just not just have your, your address public for the world to see. But a lot of companies in this space, they do want their address to be seen. And so um, you have the ability to list all of your different contact information. And then they also have an, uh, a newer tool. We have it listed in the show notes. Um, but it's a call tracking feature where you can list your phone number to your Google My Business page. And that way, if somebody is looking for your account, 
or looking for your business, then they have the ability to either go right directly to your website or they can click to call you. And there's call tracking available that's for that. So as soon as you claim your page, then you get all of these different call report analytics that are sent to you on, you know, say a monthly frequency. And you can see directly how many people called that phone number if it was answered right away. Um, and so then you can kind of try to optimize that journey for folks who are calling for that particular number? Are they a customer looking to do business with you? You definitely want to make sure that that, that transition is, is smooth for that type of visitor. And then if it's a driver trying to figure out where the hell you're located, that's another instance where you, know, you want to make sure that that, that transition from uh, you know, them searching for you and finding the information that they need is right there at their fingertips. So claim your Google My Business page. It's free and it's one of the better you know, sort of digital real estate investments that you can make. That is free. So the next one is we've talked about the website, we've talked about the Google My Business or the Google My, uh, yeah, Google My Business profile claimed. And then the next one is have a podcast interview with your customer every week. Even if you don't publish this, it's still a great way to gather insight at the verbiage that the customer uses, not you and your colleagues, because you're in the trenches of your business. You know what verbiage means. You know what the different acronyms mean. Your customers probably don't know. So when it comes to your email marketing and your social media and your website copy and all of these different things, having that verbiage on your site and in your marketing materials based on what the customer uses is going to attract other customers. That's one of the bigger mistakes that I see for a lot of companies is not interviewing your customers. So that is another one that I, I would highly, highly suggest. Like I said, it's just an interview. You can record these conversations very easily via Zoom, hopefully get the permission of the person in advance in order to record the conversation. Then you can release it as content for your own company. But if not, you can always keep it private and just use some of that different verbiage in your messaging. It's such a home run. It is such a, just a hidden gem um, that not a lot of industries, period, are doing this, but the best companies that talk to their customers on a regular basis and then implement that same type of verbiage are are winning, you know, and you will be beating out ninety nine percent of your of your competition just simply by talking to your customers. Such a novel thing, I know. And then the last one, very important, two social media channels max. You want to make sure that you are not spread too thin, that you don't have a profile claimed on all of these different social media platforms. That way you can focus on the nuances of that platform and the language that is spoken on that platform. The way that somebody tweets is not the same way that they publish to LinkedIn. I can tell you that firsthand and personal experience. Each platform has their own nuances that you want to make sure you can really focus in and hone in on because, and if you're... If you're spread too thin, it's going to be challenging in order to, to get that kind of insight that only comes from using the platform on a daily or just a regular basis. So two social media platforms, max. Whew, that was a lot to get in through for today's show. We talked about content moderation. We talked about content creation and the challenges behind both of those things. But also, I just want to leave you guys with, you know, sort of that simplified marketing plan, building out your website, claiming your Google My Business profile, one podcast with a customer every week, and focus on two social media platforms to spread awareness. That is a simplified marketing plan that 99% of businesses out here um, need to be focusing on. And so if you want to be able to, uh, you know, survive a lot of these different challenges, the great resignation, maybe a possible recession in the future, Focusing on those key four areas will help a simplified approach and will help you with you know, a lot of different other companies that just frankly just don't do a good job of any of those things. 
So I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Thanks to everyone for tuning in. We'll be back here right next week, Thursday at 2 p.m. Once again, my name is Blythe Brumley with digitaldispatch.io. You can find all of my socials in the show notes or over on my website. We will see you guys here right back here next week.